Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek, University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. And what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, this is Brian Nemhauser, at HawkBlogger on Twitter, and really happy to do what is just a totally random podcast with the boys tonight. Uh, we were having a good time talking about all sorts of things related to football, uh, mostly I think related to football in the, the group chat, and we're just like, let's just do a pod. Let's just talk live and, and figure out what the night will bring. Uh, and at least two folks uh, joined in on that that adventure, and, and one of them is Evan Hill at Evan in S-E-A on Twitter. How many drinks have you had, Evan? Three. Uh, this is apple juice and, um, uh, good God, uh, not scotch. Um, I'm totally blanking. Hard alcohol. Brown. Alcohol. I don't know. I'm forgetting the name. I'm drunk. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not actually. I'm three in. I'm three in. Uh, well, it's good to have you. And I noticed you're wearing some new gear. Would you like to to tell us about that? In this house, we let Russ cook. Or actually, you know what I should say? In this kitchen, we let Russ cook. Didn't um, we identify earlier today that maybe some of the the animosity about the let Russ cook uh movement has been misdirected that in fact everyone talks about pete carroll but from what we understand russ has a personal chef is that right russ does have a personal chef she he may does. be standing in the way like literally of letting russ cook and and that might be something we need to talk about yeah i mean he's got to keep the dad bod so I'm not, I'm not going to attack him for that. 
Hey, and thank you, McNeil Webster, for your contribution and, and chat. Really, really appreciate it. Other folks, uh, be great if you want to contribute um, there. Also, you know, McNeil, you know, donated $4.99. Same price. Join up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. And you will get access to the Slack chat where you can talk with us uh, more often. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have more folks join there on an ongoing basis and build the community as we go. Uh, now, that was Evan and his, his shirt. We are now going to move to Canada and Jeff Simmons. Um, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Jeff, how you doing? Uh, I'm all right, man. Uh, my, my Raptors blew a game in the fourth quarter tonight. So it looks like basketball season's coming to an end for me. So I'm in football mode right now. I'm, I'm fully locked in at this point. I'm ready to go. Nice. Nice. Uh, so there are some questions folks want to know where that you got that shirt. Evan. Yeah. So I, the moment you said that I was literally just about to drop the link in the YouTube chat and then YouTube will not let me. So, okay. Go to breaking T just the letter T.com and search let Russ cook. So breaking like how you spell breaking T just the letter T.com and search let Russ cook and you will find it. It's like 25 bucks. I, I think it's uh like a field goals, um, uh, linked store. I think they do partnership stuff with field goals, but it's a good shirt. I really like the shirt. It's comfortable. All right. Now, you know, and thank you, Sean, uh, Sean pile for, for making a donation in the super chat as well. Uh, we've actually had a bunch of folks been joining, uh, at patreon.com slash Hawk blogger. So, uh, love to have more people there. Also, if you haven't already, now's the time to click subscribe, click the little bell so you get notified when we go live because we do do these random podcasts on occasion. And when news breaks, we're just going to go live. And that's the best way to know about it. Um, so we have a bunch of stuff we were kind of going around uh, and around on tonight. And where do you guys want to start? We can start with, uh, we were looking at Pro Football Talks power rankings and where they had the Seahawks ranked. We were talking about our biggest roster concern which at least for me and i think for you guys as well is the defensive tackle position we talk so much about Jadavian Clowney and uh you know pass rush but we just don't even have a decent rotation on the interior um there's other places we could go where do you guys want to start uh before we even start i just want you to know nathan will be joining the show tonight oh so Wow. What I, what I, what, the reason I'm saying this out loud, Brian, is is keep an eye on the waiting room because he, he should appear. <laughs> I will do that. Yeah. So so where do you guys want to start? Let's start with the power rankings. I think that's what got us started in our in our group chat. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys have those in front of you? I can pull it up and I mean if you want me to share my screen, I can. Yeah, I mean I can I can probably do the same. Uh, yeah, if, why don't you do that, Evan, if you can? Yeah, let me. Uh... Uh, I think uh, what I can say for folks that have not seen these, I'll actually retweet it on uh, my account so people can follow there. But um, this was from Pro Football Talk, and they had the Seahawks as seventh in the NFL. And Jeff, I'm kind of curious when you saw that, 
what was your first reaction just emotionally was that like oh wow that's pretty high was that like no that's about right what was your reaction to seeing the Seahawks at seventh in the NFL so oddly enough I had a former colleague of mine he works in the football industry and he asked me for my top 15 like two days ago so I literally have this on my screen right now I had Seattle at six when I sent this over to him two days ago and they had him at seven. So no qualms with their ranking. I had Seattle Ray with San Francisco five, six, essentially the second tier of the NFL. They're good enough to be a contender, but they're not as top to bottom dominant as the top three or four teams. So I had them right in line with pro football talk. Interesting. Um, so, Evan, how about you? Yeah, Seattle at seven seems about right. I'm not sure I agree with two of the teams ahead of them, but I think in the five to ten range, I think is a very rational sort of grouping, and it's really just two reasons. Obviously, you have a one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but they really, really upgraded the secondary this year, so much so that I think – you could call it on paper, at least like a top three secondary in the NFL, maybe even the best secondary in the NFL, especially with what happened well, to What was that? Earl Thomas is out of Baltimore now and Derwin James is out for the season. Those were the two. Oh, competitors good call on Derwin. Um, yeah, I completely forgot. Obviously not uh, positive circumstances for either, but uh, I'm not sure you can claim there is a secondary better than the Seahawks right now. And that's crazy to say because this team was starting Tedrick Thompson, Delano Hill, and uh, Trey Flowers last year. So long answer to your very short question. I think five to ten range is, is about right. So I was wrong. It was not pro football talk. It was uh, Sunday Night Football on NBC, and I just retweeted it on um, my timeline. Uh, did you find it yet, Evan, or would you like me to share my screen? It won't let me share my screen, so you have to share it. Okay, so let me... The link is in the chat if you need it. Yeah, let me get this out of the way and go to share screen. Yeah, the the, the software is actually very intelligent about who it will and will not let share a screen. Um, <laughs> even the developers are aware of your reputation, Evan. I mean, you didn't want to discuss... Uh... Our, our potentially new Seahawks left tackle, Riley something was last name. I... Riley Reed. <laughs> Riley Reed, our new left tackle. <laughs> so here are the rankings. Uh, hopefully you guys are seeing this now. Um, I think all of us are comfortable with the Chiefs at one, right? Like they've earned it. And yeah. a lot of reason to say that they should be worse this year. Oh. I haven't followed it super closely. I think we probably start having a debate at two. I don't think the 49ers at two is, is off. I think that's about right to me. Um, you guys feel differently, right? Like, I think you guys feel like the 49ers are due for a backslide. It's the question. Okay. We have to rephrase this question. Are we judging quality of roster talent or are we judging like where we think this team will end up at the end of the year? Do you see what I'm kind of saying? Like, because they're the second best team in the NFL. Let's just let's keep it simple, dude. Yes, I do. I do not. Say why. 
I think Baltimore has a better roster than they do. I think that San Francisco suffered some just major losses. I think they lost DeForest Buckner, who was arguably one of their most important players defensively. And I think Baltimore got better. They got Calais Campbell. They got a lot of speed on defense. They got some offense. I think they, when they played last year, Baltimore and San Francisco, they were right there line in line. And when I, I believe in Lamar Jackson, I don't believe in Jimmy. So it's close, but I have Baltimore ahead of them. So you're not talking about San Francisco like way down. You're just saying two versus three. Is that right, Jeff? No, I had San Francisco at four. Okay. So you had San Francisco at four. You had Baltimore above them. Who else did you have above them? The one team I had, and this is kind of a – this is kind of just me. I have Dallas ahead of them. I think Dallas on paper is the best team in the NFC. I don't yeah. like you anymore, Jeff. I mean, he's not wrong though. I don't like, I you. know it's not fun. Well, uh, I think the 49ers barely have the edge, but the Cowboys have a pretty dang good roster this year. Yeah. And then the, I'm just getting Everson Griffin for nothing. And the quarterback situation like Alden Smith is a pretty interesting wild card they have there too. I is think he still are, with them? No, Alden Smith's not in Dallas. Is or is not in Dallas? No, he is. He's now in Dallas. He's their third pass rusher. So wow. they have Demarcus Lawrence, Alden Smith, Everson Griffin, and they have that three-headed monster receiver. I think they're on paper. They probably won't live up to this, but on paper, I think they're the best roster. You know what team is absolutely insane to include in that top five? Is the Patriots. Yeah, no, absolutely insane. And that's a Bill Belichick sort of honor. I feel like that number four is all Bill Belichick. If, if Bill Belichick didn't exist and you replace that with an average head coach, I think the Patriots are 20 to 25. Like I, 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 that's actually, I think one of the things that we talked a lot about, I mean, that's, that's a fascinating one. I mean, maybe that's a strong word to use for an NFL power rankings before the season. But <laughs> if you had asked me where the Patriots should be after Tom Brady leaves and all of those players, I mean, Marcus Cannon and like a bunch of guys didn't even show up due to COVID. They opted out of the season. I would have been like top 15, I think, yeah, would be reasonable for the Patriots, but top five. Hell no. Five? No, that's a legacy pick. 100%. When the last game they played, Tennessee just looked so far superior to them. And that was with Brady. That was with Donta Hightower. All those guys you mentioned, Marcus Cannon. They didn't really add anyone. They lost a lot of guys. Like, I went through it before. They lost Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Noy. They lost Danny Shelton. They don't have much left there right now. It's it's not it's kind of a rebuilding team. They're kind of where Seattle was when they turned over that team. Like they'll be a scrappy team like Seattle was a couple of years ago, but the, the the horses just aren't there anymore. They'll make the playoffs. Like I, I want to be yeah. clear. Like they're not a bad football team. They're just not top four. That's insane. No, I, I think they know that. Yeah. I, well, but here's the thing. Having said that. I don't think Tom Brady was a great quarterback last year. Evan, you and I, I think, are on the same page on this front. As much as I am not a Cam Newton fan uh, as a player or, you know, how he handles himself on the field or or during losses, uh, I totally respect his talent. And 
they also are talking about a two-headed monster at quarterback, which is super interesting. That almost never happens in the NFL anymore. And if anybody can pull it off, it's Belichick. So, like, would I be shocked if they're leading that division midway through the year or three quarters? I would not. Like, I think Belichick is that good. Yeah. I mean, I want to hit home on one sort of point you said, though, Brian. Like, I we were discussing this in the group chat. I'm not a Cam fan either at all. So I want to set that context here first. But I actually think Cam this year is an upgrade from what they had in Tom Brady last year. And I know if Patriots fans were listening to this, they'd be losing their freaking minds and, <laughs> you know, screaming. But I'm, I'm just looking at these stats through week 11 of the 2019 season. Um, I can't do the full 17 weeks because of some pro football focus issues. But uh, through 11 weeks of 2019, Tom Brady was 63% in completion rank or completion percentage, which ranked 20th, 6.8 in yards per uh, pass attempt, 26 passing touchdowns, 14, which ranked 16th and pass rating 90.1 where he ranked 22nd. Like the stats back up what we saw when we watched Tom Brady last year. I'm not sure if it was a down year or him truly declining due to age, but I think Cam is an upgrade from what they had in Brady last year. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I do think he's got, I do think he's got health issues. And I do think Cam also struggled quite a bit when he was playing um, last. So I don't think you can assume he's uh, any going to be any savior, but yeah, I think, I think just, I really do wonder what Patriots fans where they fall in the Belichick versus Brady debate about who deserves more credit for the dynasty of the last 20 years that has happened in the, in new England, where do you guys fall? Like just flat out, you know, observer, not huge Patriots fan, but NFL fan, who do you think is most responsible for their success in the last two decades? That's such a hard question. It's like the whole Seahawks debate, but I, but honestly, I debate. I really lean Tom Brady. I really do. Every time you count him out, find a way to come back and win the game. Let me ask you there, though. Are you saying that because you don't want to get caught in a logic trap with Russell Wilson versus Pete Carroll? Or are you absolutely saying- not? Of course not. <laughs> I'm a rational, consistent, straightforward, honest football analyst. No it's way okay I would to have different answers for different situations. No, no. I, I do think it's Tom Brady, but, but barely. Yeah. How about you, Jeff? Yeah, it's, it's fair to go Brady. He's probably the best quarterback of all time, but for this, I, I just have so much respect for Belichick and I've read a lot about him. And one of the things that just, and it's one of our criticisms of Pete, honestly, um, one of the things that Belichick does so well, and he's done it for 20 years is they have almost a different strategy every game and they shape and they shape who they are and they can win in different ways. And they adjust so well to their opponent. And I think really it was the perfect marriage, but Belichick, if you look at his history from even against Brady, he shut down all of basically the greatest offenses in NFL history, like the early nineties bills, the, the giants, when he was with the giants, he shut down the Rams team with McVay. He shut down like the he greatest show the on turf. That was their first show on turf. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Belichick has helped shut down basically all of them. And they transformed to like what Seattle kind of was at the beginning of that run first defense only team. The first three Super Bowls were that. And they kind of changed their whole 
offense to the opening up passing game with Wes Welker and Gronk and Randy Moss. And then again, they move back and they, they're, they're always just like ahead of the curve. And I, I give that to Belichick and it's hard to take away anything from Brady. He probably is the best quarterback of all time, but I'm going to go with Belichick on this one. Yeah. It's, it, I think it's a really fascinating debate because I, I would have just totally gone with Brady in general because I think he's one of them. He's been one of the most difficult players to defend in the NFL for 20 years. Like people have had chances to adjust, but he is smart and accurate and an amazing competitor. And I especially gain even more respect for him after the Seahawks won their Super Bowl. And we saw the impact it had to a lot of the players on the Seahawks where they lost a little bit of their edge, I think. Um, and it really like, and when they lost the Super Bowl, it really messed with their heads. Brady not only won three Super Bowls early, but he lost three Super Bowls. And and like his competitive edge never really seemed to wane. So I like I have a ton, ton, ton of respect for Brady as a player. But what Belichick has done with weird amounts of talent like on defense like he manages to take really everybody else's second third fourth level players and turn them into like top defenses I I don't know how he does it and to your point Jeff he's done it differently where we've kind of there's been arguments about how Pete Carroll just has his one style and he can't adjust as his team has needed him to adjust I think that you can say Belichick has adjusted as the team is is uh he just week to week, let alone season to season. So um, I lean towards Belichick in that argument, but it's super tight. And I think that's, that's a pretty, it's pretty interesting that it is that, that questionable. Um, let's talk about the bucks at six before we move off of the rankings and, and we start talking about more specific Seahawks stuff, but uh, the bucks at six, that's a Brady, that's a Brady thing, right? I think we all agree. If Brady was yeah. the quarterback on that team, they would not be probably even top 10 um in these rankings evan you just talked about how bad brady was last year um yeah do you think that do you think that he and bruce arians together can be can be a top six nfl team the bright red tomato that is bruce arians scares the living hell out of me and maybe that's just because those 2014 2015 i think 2016 cardinals were really good football teams and Listen, hey, I'm, I'm all on the Bucks train being good. I think they have a really, really strong roster, especially on the offensive front. But I think Tom Brady is the sort of weak link among all of them, which is which is pretty crazy to say. But, like, their receiver corpse is pretty crazy. Like, Chris Godwin, they have uh, Mike Evans. Is Deshaun – no, Deshaun Jackson, I think, left for, left for the yeah. Eagles. They have Gronk. Like, they've got some powerhouse receivers catching the football. So, um add that in with Bruce Arians is, you know, sort of aggressive play calling style. I think if Tom Brady is, is good this year, this football team is going to be really, really good. Uh, but I think the potentially weak link is, is Tom Brady. I really do. Oh, wow. Wow. So almost the opposite. Um, how about you, Jeff? Um, I get why they have the bucks so high because they have a very good roster. Like Jameis Winston, I think led the NFL in turnovers last year. And I think if you took, if you like cut those turnovers in half, they could have won like four or five more games. And you saw what they came in and did to Seattle. 
they have a lot of blue chip players on defense and their defense. It was really good last year at the end of the year. Like they have Vita Vea, Levante, David, Shaq, Jason Pierre Paul, oh, Shaq Barrett, Shaq was Barrett a... led the league in sacks. They have Devin white was a top five pick last year. And then Chris Godwin was pro football focuses. Number one, non quarterback in their list last year. Like they had him that high. So on paper, they have a ton of talent. It's just, it's hard for me to put them that high because they didn't have a normal offseason. They weren't able to do their usual work, and there's going to be a learning curve. And it's kind of a weird fit, as Brian said, with Arians loves the deep passing game. That's why Carson Palmer and Ben and Locke were so good with them. And Brady's more of a dump it around, dink and dunk it. So they're going to have to kind of find the middle ground. So I would have them a little lower than they have on this list, and I would have them under Seattle. But I think they're going to be a good team. I think they're going to be right in there. They have a lot of talent. They have good coaches, very good defensive coaches. So I have a follow-up question to what you just said, Jeff. Do they win their division? No. I say no. New Orleans is a really Saints is better. Saints are a better team. I could see some fluky shit happening. Oh, it's possible. It's definitely possible. This year could be weird, man. Yeah. I mean – I think I think one of the things there, just building on what Jeff has said, is so you got this weird match where Arians is a, definitely a down the field uh, offensive play caller, and Brady is not a down the field quarterback. But then you also got this thing where when has Brady had receivers to this quality that he's got in Tampa Bay? So you're like, it's been a while since he's had like a Mike Evans. Like, I think you'd have to go back to Randy Moss to say that oh, yeah. he's had a, a receiver of that quality to throw to, let alone the other guys. But then the other side of that, you want to argue against it, is Brady's never been about top-shelf receiver talent. He's been about receivers that run routes precisely at the right time and that are dependable so that when he makes that read and reads the defense, that they're where they're supposed to be. So that's why you've had Julian Edelman be, he is not the player without Brady that he has been like nowhere close. And I think you can say that about some of the other guys, Danny Amendola. Like I think those types of guys are Brady receivers. So I will be interested to see like, are those receivers disciplined enough to run the routes, the right time and the right place for Brady, or is it going to be, you know, a little bit of, you know, mismatch. Uh, So uh, it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing that team. Uh, it certainly could be a tough team. I will say before we kind of move off this, as we transition to talk about the Seahawks more, when I saw this, my first reaction was, wow, that's kind of high for Seattle. Not because I think Seattle is lower in terms of where they should be ranked, but it surprised me that from a national standpoint that a, a publication like this has Seattle that high. I guess I just expect, generally speaking, teams like, you know, national perspective to have the Seahawks at like maybe top 10, but generally like even outside the top 10. I just don't think that most folks look at Seattle this way. So I was a little surprised to see them rank this high. It's a, a last note on this topic. It's insane yeah. to me that Dallas is at 12. That's absolutely insane to me. Dallas should be top 10 in this list, probably even top five uh, to put the bills ahead of them. The Titans ahead of them. It's crazy talk. Well, what yeah, about your favorite, you. your second favorite team? The Arizona Cardinals. Oh, gee, I was like, who's my second favorite football team? <laughs> no, the Cardinals should. The Cardinals had a stellar offseason. They had a really good draft. They added, added DeAndre Hopkins. 
I think they re-signed Kenyon Drake. They've, they've got a good team. And I think Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray only improved in the second half of last year. Um, this is going to sound potentially really dumb in this moment right now, but I could see the Cardinals coming in at number two in the division. I really could. I think they're going to be far better than the Rams. It's going to be a three-way sort of uh, race between the Niners, Seahawks, and, and Cardinals. But I, I think Cardinals are absolutely not uh, absolutely not anybody that um, we should sleep on. Speaking of that uh, division stuff, um, I, I lied that we're going to get off this. The Rams at 23, Jeff. Yeah. Two years ago, they were in the Super Bowl. And Sean McVay was Evans like crush, schoolboy crush. And now the Mc, McGenius is at 23. Yeah. How do you how do you figure that? If you wanna we talk a lot about John Schneider and Pete Carroll and mismanagement. If you want to study a history of mismanagement, there will be a 30 for 31 day on how the Rams closed their own Super Bowl window with just a series of terrible, terrible roster decisions. And yeah, they have McVay, they have a lot of offense and they have Aaron Donald. So they'll probably be a little better than that. They kind of remind me of how I described the Patriots earlier. They're just kind of like a scrappy team, but they had the roster in 2017, 2018. That was probably the best team on paper, kind of like the way we were talking about some of those top three teams, their offensive line, their defense, and just a series of short-sighted go-for-it moves just closed their window. They they paid Todd Gurley. We've talked about paying running backs. They paid Jared Goff to be a franchise Russell Wilson-type quarterback. We don't know if he's that. And then they start doing things like they traded picks for Marcus Peters. They traded high picks for Brandon Cooks. Instead of that, they could have got like – a DJ Moore, and all of a sudden, all these picks and all these, they cost them keep guys. Roger Saffold's gone. They lost like Corey Littleton, four starters on defense. If you look at their depth chart, there's just not much left anymore. It's not a good roster. And we all saw it coming, and they kept going for it. They tried two first for Jalen Ramsey. Like, there's not much there. Jeff, I want to <clears throat> I wanna follow up on one thing you said about Jared Goff. I, uh, I pulled up the contract just now, just because for shits and giggles, I wanted to see what year they could realistically get out of it. So number one, they're paying Jared Goff almost $29 million this year. So just think about that for a second, $29 million for Jared Goff. They cannot get out of this contract realistically till 2023, like the 2020 season, 2021, 2022, I'd say the next three full seasons, the Rams are stuck with Jared Goff unless, unless they, unless they somehow actually, there's no way I can even literally conjure or fathom in my mind that they could somehow work this out unless you took like a great pay cut or something like that. But the Seahawks are going to be stuck, not stuck because that sounds negative, but I, I but they're going to be playing Jared Goff for the next three full seasons. And it's the Seahawks it's, in the last regime made a huge mistake. They paid Sean Alexander and let Steve Hutchison walk. And after that, they were never the same. And the Rams did the same thing with Gurley and Roger Saffold. And since then, their offensive line went from similar to the Seahawks back within the day, went from one of the best in the league to one of the worst within one year. Yeah. And I think that you also like, you do have, uh, uh, they had some, some retirements and some, some stuff that happened there on the offensive line that they couldn't necessarily control, but, it, 
It is. I mean, when you have Aaron Donald, who's one of the best defensive players to ever walk on the field, any generation, and you've got McVay, who as much as I give, give him crap, I mean, is a really good offensive coach. And you've got some great receivers. Like there's good tight ends. Like there's a, there's talent there. Yeah. Uh, It feels like that's pretty low. I also like one of the other things that jumps out to me, a couple of things jump out to me, like the Vikings at 13, those guys just traded for uh, Yannick and defense is scary. Good. Right. I think that's a really good team. 13 seems pretty low. And then the Packers, Packers whopped us in the playoffs last year, and they're down there at 14, like seven spots below the Seahawks. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting from a national perspective. So what happened with the Packers is a lot of people, as we heard all about the point differential with Seattle last year, they were the same kind of team. And that team that went into Green Bay last year, Brian, you've talked about this. If you look at the guys, some of the guys starting for Seattle, most of those guys aren't even in the league anymore. That was a bad team that went into Green Bay. But anyway, back to my point. What happened was they thought Green Bay was kind of like a fraudulent team that was winning off kind of fluky one-score game kind of thing. So people thought, okay, they need to get better. They need to adjust. Like we, we, all, we talked about what Seattle's done this offseason. They spent their first pick on a backup quarterback. They spent their second pick on a backup running back, and they didn't make one notable free agent at. So nationally, they just got killed and – a lot of all the analytics people we follow and talk to, they love crushing Aaron Rodgers. So that, there's kind of a new narrative on that team. And their consensus-wise had the worst offseason of any team. And I'm not surprised to see them. I think they're a lot better than that. I think they're pretty good. They added those two pass rushers last year. And they're still right there in that division. But Oof. I'm not surprised to see them nationally take shots because they were kind of the whipping boy of the offseason. Oh man. I mean, talking about their off season from last year still gives me hives because that should have been the Seahawks off season. Yeah. This let, let me guess. Minnesota. Let me guess. You're talking about the Packers. Yes. I knew it. I jumped in the conversation late and I knew it. Oh, I mean, to get two good pass rushers at a reasonable cost and free agency, you know, that that's a coup. And, and uh, the Seahawks had every chance to do that this year. And, I don't think they did, but, but uh, we will find out. Um, there was the one thing that came up that you guys were talking about. Um, it was related. You talked about Todd Gurley and running backs. One running back that did make himself available uh, or was made available this week is Leonard Fournette. And there's some folks in the chat talking about this, and I think it's worth us talking about it a little bit because we have discussed this. Uh You've got Chris Carson, who is on the last year of his deal, has not been extended yet, sounded a little bit testy in his press conference today about whether or not he's been uh, talked or approached about an extension. Um, And now you've got uh, Rashad Penny, who's your first round pick, who can't seem to stay healthy and maybe out for, you know, he's at least going to be out for the six games, the PUP. He may miss the whole season. And you've got Carlos Hyde, who's, you know, a vet um, approaching 30, you know, not a long-term option. And then you got some youngsters. Do either of you think that the Seahawks should be considering signing Leonard Fournette? Jeff, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm going to go with no on this one. I don't think Fournette as a player is much different than Carlos Hyde. 
I know he's a lot younger. He's been only in the league for three years. It seems like he's been in the league a lot longer. But I just, from from a short-term perspective, the numbers don't work unless you're going to willing to make him an inactive at the beginning of the season. And based on what came out about his attitude and his reputation, I don't think he would take that very well. The only way it would make sense, and I think if you believe in Fournette, this is the way you have to go, is if you're willing to part with Carlos Hyde already. Because I think Fournette is the change of pace and the insurance to Carson and maybe a hedge for next season. Then it makes sense. But his salary was $4 million. Very low considering what Joe Mixon got $12 million today. And now one team in the league claimed them. So signing him would cost less than $4 million right there. So if, if it's cost perspective, he's cheap, but I just don't think he's very good. And I don't think it's worth kind of bringing in another body. And, and I like Carlos Hyde. I think it's a good fit. So I'm going to go with no on this one. I'm going to give you a super thorough, in-depth, and collaborative response. No. 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 Well, let me make it more complicated for you. Would you rather, and you only, you got, only pick one, Evan. Would you rather the Seahawks extend Chris Carson or sign Fournette? Are you going to give me contract figures or is this just like a, or is this just like a one year deal? This is, this is basically, those are the two choices. Assume that that signing Fournette would be done in a way. It can be a multi-year deal, but let's just say it's, it's, it's not extending Chris Carson. If we're talking about extending a running back, let's extend a good running back. Chris Carson is better than Fournette. Like, does anybody dispute that? Like, Fournette has been an average to maybe above average running back in the NFL. Like, of course, picking him at number four was bad, but most people expected him to be sort of like a Zeke Elliott or Todd Gurley during his heydays. Like, he's not been that. So, right off the bat, I would take Chris Carson over Fournette. And that's not a Seahawks homer bias thing. I, I don't even think they're close. Um, but if we're talking similar contract figures, I mean, Carson's the obvious logical answer, but that Joe Mixon contract, which I assume we are going to talk about at some point on the show, you got like $12 million today uh, or, tw- or $12 million per year today, $48 million deal. A lot of money up front with how the Bengals sign contracts and negotiate their contracts. But um I think it's Chris Carson and I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a tough answer. Wait, you'd rather extend Chris Carson. I mean, knowing that it's probably going to be at those contract figures. Assuming Fournette is like in the same ballpark. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. That That's not the question. So like assume. Oh, Fournette you're saying not cut. I mean, you're talking about, if anything, you're talking about a very short term deal, uh, low APY. So you're talking like 3 million a year? Sure. Versus 12 million. Oh god. I thought that question was so easy at first. I was like, Chris Carson, of course. No. <laughs> no. Uh, people manage their roster, right? Like you 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 buy on the cheap <laughs> and you buy the young guy that's durable and if he's 75% of the guy that you have to pay 75% more for, then that's a good question to ask. I'm choosing Chris Carson. No way. Yeah, I'd probably take Fournette. No way. Burn the fucking money. Burn the fucking money. You know what? what? It, it means they're not going to draft a running back high then. 
that's what it means. Or that's what I think it means. So <laughs> no, I think paying Chris Carson $12 million. Of course it's a bad, of course, of course it's a bad mistake. mistake. Both are mistakes. Game. Let's be clear here, but at least like, let's yeah, pay for a good player. Not- yeah, the correct answer is option C, jump off a bridge. That's that's my choice. <laughs> yeah, I I think, I mean, I put this out on Twitter today. I actually, I love Chris Carson. I love the way he runs. I love having him on the team. I think he's a, I think he's one of the best backs in the NFL. I do think he's better than Fournette. Uh, oh, he's not even close. But no way. No way am I signing him to an extension. And if you're signing him to anything more than – like if you do sign him an extension and it's more than 8 million a year, which it almost would have to be given where he is uh, age wise and talent wise. That's a okay. Okay. Brutal, uh, okay. Let me, let me, food. let me turn around the question. Let me turn around the question on you, Brian. Let's this see is, a, this is a, no, no, this is going to be good. Okay. You either match Chris Carson at the Joe Mixon deal. So $12 million a year. We haven't seen the exact mm-hmm. contract details, but assume that's the ballpark four years, $48 million. Yeah. Or would you rather th- the Seahawks trade up and draft a running back in the first round next year? Because they don't have a first round pick. They, they only have, a, they have a second. So they'd have to couple some picks together to move into the first round. What would you prefer happen? Trade up. What? <laughs> you, no, you're, yeah. you're fucking, you're fucking with me. No. Burn the money. We burn the money. No. Burn the money. No, I mean burn the money. You've got burn the money. The draft picks are far more important. Are you kidding me? Okay. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, no. The Seahawks this year in the in the let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The Seahawks in the 2020 offseason, and this is the whiskey talking a little bit. On four players. On four players, Jared Reed, Bruce Irvin, Greg Olson, and Carlos Hyde. Do you want to know how much money they spent on all of them? $25.5 million. $25.5. This, this team has no problem burning money. Burn the fucking money. Don't burn the draft picks. Burn the money. So there's so much flawed logic in everything you just said. It's, it would take the rest of the show to unpeel it all back. I will, <laughs> just say, I will just say this. So a lot of the folks you just listed are on one-year deals. Like, So you're not burning the money. You are using the cap space for the one year. You are talking about a multi-year deal that is going to preclude you from not from being able to sign, you know, a combination of Jamal Adams, Shaquille Griffin, uh, Quentin Dunbar, maybe Quandre Diggs, maybe some people on the offensive line that you care about or others. So, you know, you've got Tyler Lockett coming back up. So you can't just say burn the money. This team has talent on its roster. I might be with you if they were not close to being like a true contending team, but they're close. So the way they manage their cap right now is critical. And if they're going to keep this group around, they have to be smart about where they spend that money. And running back is the other than Jason Myers, which was the other stupid place to spend money. You can't be spending money on that position. Money is not an issue for this team in the next few years. It's not. It's not. It's just not. How do you they, like the pass rush right now, Evan? I wish they had signed Clowney or somebody and else. How much? How much would that have cost? If they're gonna if they're gonna fix this pass rush, you think that you'd rather have that money dedicated to Chris Carson 
if it's a nine million dollar difference, or if we're if we're going with my circumstance, yeah, yeah, I'd rather them burn the money. Use yeah. use use the draft pick on a pass rusher. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are build those a are... build a roster in the sustainable way. Here's the other thing, and then we can we can keep going because uh, you and I could have fun with this for a while. But <laughs> uh, the likelihood of those two things is so incredibly different. It's not even a oh, worthwhile yeah. question. The Seahawks do not trade up in the first round ever. Sure. And the Seahawks could very well extend a running back disastrously. So, you know. Do you see uh, what Carson's agent tweeted today? Oh, yeah. He was excited about the Mixon deal. That's for sure. Yeah, he they- saw the Seahawks writers tweeting. So, so on a matter of trades and other people that are available, let's, let's talk quickly and let's, let's move to the defensive line a little bit. One thing that did happen this week, and then we'll get into actual defensive tackles, but a guy we've talked about in this show moved teams this week. Uh, Yannick Nguakwe. <laughs> I've had too much too, but anyway, he, uh, he got moved from the Jags to the Vikings. I was surprised by the team that he went to, to be honest. And it was like, Oh crap. Like that's, that's tough. If he and Daniel Henter on the same team on opposite ends of the line, that's tough. But went for a second and a fifth and it's a conditional fifth that can go up to a third. So let's assume that it's a second and third. Let's just assume because, you know, if, if, uh, if he plays to his, the level he's played on a good defense, most likely that, that, that pick goes up. Do you wish knowing everything you know, now you wish the Seahawks would have made that move second and a third for a defensive end pass rusher, and knowing that you will likely need to, just like with Jamal Adams, sign him to a big deal. The problem is that whole pass rusher market has absolutely exploded this offseason. I'm sure you guys have seen it with the, with the Joey Bosa deal, who I think currently leads the NFL at $27.5 million a year. I mean, you're talking with what Jamal Adams is probably going to get and what you know, resetting the pass rusher market would look like. We're talking almost a, almost a $10 million salary difference per year. So would I have done that deal in hindsight? Probably not. No. Yeah. It's it's a tricky, it's a tricky question because obviously that's Seattle's biggest need and the cost in the end looks pretty low, obviously compared to what they like is the question. Would you rather them done that deal and the Adams deal? Is that the question? No, no, no. Or that's would- not the question. With the, the way the team is right now, would you would you do you wish that the Seahawks would have pulled the trigger on that deal? Assuming they could have and it was an offer that they could have made. But but after the Adams deal, right? Yes. Is that yes. after I mean, the Adams deal? This the the the, the, the Yannick trade went down like a couple days ago. Do you wish that the name of the team that had been receiving him was the Seahawks for the same compensation? That's the question. No, I'm going to say no. And obviously it sucks, the pass rush. The thing that the reason the cost was so low is because Jacksonville held out for a first-round pick the entire offseason, and you would have had to be willing to go the entire offseason and end up with him. So my answer is no, because really I think they would have just ended up as a similar defense as last year with the same kind of issues, the same kind of thing, where they have one pass rusher and not much else. And I think – I don't think – I think it leaves you with a short-term thing where you just keep redoing the same thing over and over with Sheldon Richardson and then Clowney 
where you get one guy and then you probably have to lose him the next year. And I don't think that's a sustainable way to build a team. And I think Minnesota was a great team to do it because they had the guy on the other side, but unless they were willing to spend a free agency and get other pass rushers, I don't think and Dockway just placing him in this defense would be enough to pay that price and then deal with signing him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a no for me. And that's a guy that I was willing to make that deal for. And here's the reason, because as, as currently constructed, I don't think the Seahawks are an edge rusher away from being where they need to be. I think they need, they need help on the interior. And so let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. That's one of the things that got us to, to, to this podcast in the first place is my God, I think the three of us are on the same page that the defensive tackle position freaks us the heck out on this team. You've got Jaron Reed, who was suspended for six games last year and then was just okay. He was not a, he was not an impact player when he returned, and he's your starter. And then you've got Puna Ford, who is supposed to be a breakout player and honestly was just okay last year. He was not great um, last year. And those are your starters. After that, Jeff, after that, Evan – if you, one of them gets hurt, you're talking about Brian Monet. You're talking about, you know, DeMarcus Christmas, maybe. You're talking about LJ Collier is, is someone that they're playing at maybe three technique. Like, are we all on the same page that the Seahawks cannot go into the season with the defensive tackle roster that they've got right now? Yeah, it's really yeah. bad. Like if Jaron Reed, like you said, or Puna Ford goes down, who's the next guy? Because if one of those guys goes down, we're going to have to start guessing names we've never heard of. It gets that bad. Yeah. And yeah, one of the things that NFL personnel guys do when they're evaluating rosters is they do something called like the Jenga theory. Meaning if you ever played that game Jenga and you take one piece out, does the whole thing fall apart? And if you look at how I talked about the roster last year, I thought Seattle's roster on defense, especially, was very poorly built for this exact reason. Like you pulled a guy out, like you took out one of their corners, like Akeem King had to play. And that, that was just totally unacceptable. Now, all of a sudden, Puna Ford's had injury history. Jaron Reed was suspended last year. There's been some stuff. Those two, I think, are fine. Like Puna Ford, I think, will be better than last year. I think we're kind of sleeping on him. But it was kind of alarming to hear me Pete talk like rave about Brian Monet when he was starting camp and John Schneider, if you're listening to this, I don't understand why you haven't signed a veteran. Like you saw what Al Woods did last year. You saw the difference without Al Woods. And I can't tell you how many times I've mentioned the name snacks Harrison. Like he's like, I, I don't want to talk about him every five minutes. And, and this part of the roster just doesn't make sense to me. It's so obvious. There's guys out there. They've done this in the past so many times, unless they're super high on one of these guys, which I don't know why they would be. I don't get what they're not seeing here. It's so what's, obvious. Uh, what's Brandon Meebane doing these days? So he's on this little list I compiled of. Oh, is he actually? Because I, yeah. I just pulled that name out of a hat. He's, he's no, unsigned. So <laughs> I went through free agents. I went through a bunch of teams. And yeah, Brandon Meebane, I, we, we all talk about snacks like every five minutes. People are still unsure. The Seahawks did check in on him. People are unsure if he is going to play. I think the pandemic scared him a little bit once all those defensive tackles started leaving. Another guy was Marcel Darius. I know they inquired about him too, and I'm not sure his status right now. 
There's a guy from the Bengals, like Damato Pico. He's been a veteran. He's oh. trying to come back into the league. He's is actually he not bad. Old? He would fit what they do. And Brandon Meebane's still a free agent, but a lot of people think he's retiring. So he's 35, oh. but I mean, yeah. you can't tell me he's like. Would you take Brian Monet or or Brandon Meebane? Oh come on! What I mean, Meebane? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking looking at Mebane's pro football focus grades the last three years. I don't want to know. I don't want to. You don't want to (laughs) know. Don't don't tell me sucks now. Don't make me sad. It's like, you know, wait, wait, wait. wait. Just to remind (laughs) you, 60 is like basically backup level. Yeah. Okay. He was 48.7 last year and 49.8. Two years ago, okay, so like, maybe the last three years, he was below 50 in pro football focus grades. All you got to do is be a fatty and plug the hole. Come on, <laughs> that's why that's my line, man. <laughs> I'm just saying he needs to beef up a little bit and we could bring the, him back. The problem is, not only they don't have that run stopper, they don't really have like who's rushes from the interior on third down. <laughs> Well, see, I've given up on that. I mean, unless they manage to convince Clowney to sign, they're not going to have an interior pass rush unless they well, get Reed, like, Well, isn't that what Reed's supposed to be? Well, Reed is part of it. He's not like a dominant pass rusher. I mean, I he think- was paid <laughs> like it. No, he wasn't. He yes, was he was. I'm not going to get into this with you. He was not. He was paid from a guaranteed money perspective, like 40% of what, of what the Pittsburgh guy got paid. So anyway, the point being is the only guys that they have for interior pass rush are not their defensive tackles. It is, it is uh Rasheem green. It is potentially LJ Collier. Like uh, it's those kind of players that they might slide inside, but I don't feel like you can count on any of them. And so to me, I at least want to make sure they have someone that they can rotate that can play NFL snaps snaps at defensive tackle. And, and so I do think they're higher on Monet than any of us are, but who else did you find Jeff? Like who else? Like, I think Darius would like, I, I would certainly be happy to hear Darius's name. Like someone of that, like he's a run stuffer. Just put him in plug and play. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I would have signed him three weeks ago. If I, if I knew the story, he was a top five pick. He's been capable at times. He's, been on a, like when Jacksonville was in the Super Bowl run, he was a really good player for them. He, he's a perfect guy to fill that out. Rodriguez, you can probably get him for the same price, and he's got a lot more upside than Woods was last year. And then I went through like a couple teams and found some guys that just had an abundance of players, and none of the names are that interesting or exciting, but they're guys we've talked about in the past. Like Jacksonville signed Timmy Jernigan to replace Al Woods. They have some def- younger defensive tackles. They're clearly rebuilding. Like, if you can send them maybe a young player instead and take Jernigan, like, I think he's a guy who can fill that third down pass rushing spot we talked about. Um, Denver has an abundance of players. Christian Covington, they signed for like the veteran minimum. He's a guy that's shown some upside in the past. Brian, I know Brian wanted to sign him last year. I think he could be a guy at the bottom of your roster that can kind of give you a little juice there. Um, there's not much else. Baltimore is a guy like Justin Ellis. Who... Yeah, Ellis is interesting. I mean, on Darius, Jeff, you, you broke up there for a second, but um, his pro football focus grade last year was just 62.7. But even then, his run defense was 68.8, which is 
is decent. Um, prior to that, uh, every year between 2018, 2013, he was basically an 80 and above run defender at defensive tackle. And 80 is pro pretty much like Al Woods 3.0 is not too exciting. He sounds like. Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. I think we got, we're going to kick him and make him rejoin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you got to do. Yeah. I think, I think he's doing that on his own. He's got the, uh, it wouldn't be a pod without Jeff's internet. Uh, you know, there we go. Back. That's good, dude. We were just talking about how Marcel Darius actually has been basically a near dominant run defender for since 2013 um, yeah i don't get it why have they not signed him so i don't know what the deal is there but i mean he i would breathe easier like like i know the focus is on pass rush guys and i think we all want that but given the choice between our only line of defense against the san francisco run offense is Brian Monet as the backup to Puna Ford and, and Jaron Reed or Darius? Like that's a huge freaking difference in how this, the season could go. Honestly, it's uh, completely criminal that we're even discussing this putrid level of depth, 12, 13 days before the Seahawks first game. Like it, it's just, it's mind blowing that they didn't even add like not even stars, just like depth. <laughs> at the position you know it's it's uh it's pretty crazy yeah i mean don't you guys think that there's a decent chance like maybe a i would say that there's a better than 70 percent chance that john schneider's planning to do his cut down day magic like he's done with justin coleman like he's done with he's done that with the nickel corner position a couple times Run stuffing defensive tackles are a dime a dozen. There has to be one that's at the bottom end of a roster, either that he can trade for, for like a seventh or that he can just pluck from the waiver wire at, at cut down day. Like do you, I have to think he's planning that. Do you regret? I know Al Woods opted out, but do you regret not having them extend him? Regret? Like, I, it's hard to say it's a regret. Do I wish they would have brought Al Woods back? Yeah, absolutely. Got a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was annoyed with him last year for other reasons, but no, for sure. Um, it was like a top 15 run defender last year. Yeah. He, he was super solid. He's exactly the kind of guy that they need. And so, yeah, that's kind of my expectation. I'm holding out hope, but look, you guys have seen me in the chat the whole offseason. I've been holding out hope they were going to address this pass rush over and over and over again, and then they just didn't. Like, they just didn't. So, so who knows? Maybe, maybe they're going to let it ride a little farther. Maybe they'll go into week two when they don't have to guarantee a veteran contract. I don't know. They've done that before, but I see this as a major Achilles heel. One thing I have to well, – I've got you, Evan. One thing – well, I was looking for potential surprise cuts. One of the guys that came up was uh, was from the Giants, and it was uh, – I can't remember his name. I'll have to go back. But a name came up from uh, a Giants uh, newspaper article of a potential surprise cut there that caught my attention, and it was Golden Tate. Really? There they're they're wondering because of Tate's contract whether he could be essentially a cap casualty at cutdown day. 
They've got some other young receivers that are starting to move emerge for the Giants, and they're wondering if Golden Tate might be cut. You tell me, if Golden Tate's cut, is he like an immediate sign for the Seahawks? He better be. Hour right? one. Hour one. Would he not be like an automatic wide receiver three for this football team right now? Yeah. I, I mean, like, like you can't tell me he's not better than Paul Richardson, Don or Sue, uh, uh, whoever the fuck else we have. <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's the perfect fit. I mean, I would just, I would love to see. I mean, if you had, if you had DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Golden Tate as your top three receivers. Holy crap. I would want yeah. to buy a three person Jersey. Like I would just want to figure out how that could be constructed. Cause that's, that's sick. Are you ready for Tyler Lockett to be wide receiver two this year? Uh, hey, that was my prediction last show. That was my prediction last show that he would be that DK Metcalf would be the number one receiver on this team. I don't think it's an insane take. I really don't. I don't either. And I have to say, thinking about last show, you made the prediction that Carlos Hyde would be a surprise cut. So it is a little interesting that you don't want to sign Leonard Fournette. Well, it's just like they have so much. They the the room is so crowded. Like let let like let's forget about Chris Carson and Rashad Penny for yeah. a second. Like Travis Homer towards the end of last year was kind of impressive. Like he's never going to be a featured back. Though. No, no, no. He's not going to be a featured back. But like he's a change of pace guy. Like backup like not a problem um and let's not forget about the camp raves that we're getting about dj dallas who everybody loves apparently and is like cj procise but good at football so who knows who knows what happens but i i just i think the room's too crowded yeah so i mean we're talking about jeff that one of the names i saw the surprise potential cut when I was looking at defensive tackles was, was golden Tate. Um, the, oh, interesting. the defensive tackle I saw or the defensive lineman I saw in the giants was RJ McIntosh. I also saw Montrevious Adams from um, uh, the Packers. Um, another name that could be interesting. Um, he doesn't seem like he's going to make it, but uh, undrafted free agent for the chiefs, Tershawn Wharton has been like really playing well for them and they're now expecting him to make the roster, but sometimes those camp heroes don't could be interesting. If, if the Seahawks go to pick him up, um, uh, one other name that's not a defensive tackle, but I thought was worth mentioning that I saw is uh, Trent Murphy from the bills. Um, they're expecting okay. that he won't make it. He's a defensive end and he's a, he's a decent rotational pass rusher starting defensive end so that's another guy that that might be worth watching how old is he oh i just closed out that let me look like is he late 20s early 30s i okay. think like that you know what i wonder if that darius 29. let's go back to darius for a second i almost wonder this might be an obvious sort of observation but i wonder if it's purely a a money issue with allocating it either to a potential clowny resigning or Darius. I, I wonder if it's like between the two or something like that. Well, let's, let's talk. We have to talk about that. We talk about it every show. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Like, do you guys, do you guys think that Jadavian clowny is going to sign? Do you think that like period, do you think that he's waiting for the season, like the last week of the preseason or, the beginning of the regular season, something like that. Do you think he's waiting for one of those moments to sign? 
I think he signs this week. Okay. Jeff, what's your, what do you think? I'm going to go. No, uh, I think he should sign this week, but I, I know Evan tweeted out today and it was on pro football talk. And it's something I've been hearing for a while now is Clowney's telling people that he won't sign unless he gets more than $50 million. And there's just no market. Yeah, we reported a couple of weeks ago. It's only Seattle, Tennessee, and Oakland left, and Oakland's now out of that. Who gives them fifteen million? So unless there's a magical change of heart, or he badly wants to play, I mean, I think he's going to sign. Would you? I just wonder if there's a middle ground that that we could get him here because right now the Seahawks sit at about eight to nine million dollars in true cap space. Yeah, you know, without touching KJ or anything. If they, if they touched KJ, they could probably fit in that one year, 15 million for a clowny. But I mean, let me flip you this. Do that? Yes, I would. Of course you do that. You yeah. Of course that. Yeah. I would. Why do you enjoy touching KJ. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> It'd be a bummer though, because I felt like KJ had such a good year last year, but that's a, that's a different topic. Um, let me flip the question back to you guys. Uh, Say, say Clowney really wanted that like $15 million per year number. What if the Seahawks gave him like a three-year $45 million deal and year one was just, you know, a really depressed cap hit, but he got, you know, he still got like that year one cash flow of $15 million and like a signing bonus or something. Would you be, would you be opposed to that? Like three years, 45 million right now? No, no. Sign that tomorrow. I've never had a problem with paying Clowney. I just, I, I, what I think, what I have a problem with is that we all have this assumption or a lot of folks have this assumption that the Seahawks are somehow like totally blowing this thing and they aren't just giving him what he wants. And I look at it, I'm like, there's 32 teams that aren't giving him what he wants. So he, like our assumption about what he wants, 15 million, we know for a fact that he's been offered or pretty close to a fact, he's been offered more than that already and he's turned it down. Well, let's, let's be clear about this. They didn't blow the clowny situation. They blew the pass rush situation, which exactly. is different, yeah, 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 but that's, which is different. That's, that's moving the goalposts a little bit. I've heard yeah, from this show that happened to be big fans of in and out uh, specifically take the Seahawks to task for why don't they just sign Clowney, just sign him, give him what he wants. And I think that that's really putting the, the onus on the Seahawks that they've made a mistake here with Clowney and, I just don't think we know what he wants. And I think there's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that what he wants is what nobody wants to give him. So maybe it's not 15, maybe he's holding out for 20 million a year or something like that. And is it the same easy decision if he wants that? I don't think it's been a mistake, but let me put it this way. If the difference is like $6 million, which is not a small amount, but if the difference is $6 million or cutting, you know, which is cutting KJ, right. I'm not saying it's a wise decision, but if these are the last two years of Pete Carroll's tenure in Seattle and Seattle's truly going all out balls to the wall, as we saw in the Jamal Adams trade, they are trying to win. Now I don't want to regret feeling like they didn't go all in these next two years. Like if, if, if the difference with clowning is $6 million, yes, it's not a trivial, trivial amount. You care about Pete Carroll's last two years, dude. You care about Russell well, Wilson's, Next I, okay, I, I've criticized Pete Carroll, of course, a ton. But, like, I would like to see him go out on a high note. Like, yeah. But that's, that's a weird – that is a weird logic. I got to say, like, why wouldn't you – like, the whole concept should be building around, like – 
a team that can win long term. And well, Russell, clearly, clearly Russell they've Fleury. decided not to do that. Like they just traded away like a fat draft pick haul, like or a young all pro that's the best at his position. They are trying to win now over the next two years. Do you agree or disagree? I don't. Well, I think they're always trying to win now. I don't Do you feel like different. they've placed emphasis on winning now? Do you feel like there's added urgency? I don't. I absolutely okay. don't. So I, I think that this is no different than when they went in on Sheldon Richardson and when they went in on Jimmy Graham and like and Percy Harvin and like they've done big deals before. And I think Jamal Adams is a position that matters to them, and he's you do not get players like him almost ever once they've been drafted by the team that took him. So I think they yeah. paid what they needed to, to get him. Well, I, th- I think the reason that I don't always agree with that, but I think the reason he's so critical on this whole thing is that they just painted themselves in a corner. They yeah. they're so weak there. And I agree with Brian's cause I've been saying the same thing as Brian. Like you can't just say the Seahawks fucked up clowning. The whole league is valued clowning the same as them. And if anything, they're still hanging in there. So sure. they like him more than other people, but the issue with the Seahawks is they now like Daryl Taylor doesn't look like he's going to play anytime soon. He's not they're even running. So, he's not yeah, even they're, running. They're, they pan themselves in a corner and there's no one else left. Like the Everson Griffin thing was their fallback plan for so long. And that would have been a great solution. But if you don't get Clowney and you want an outside pass rusher, there's Clay Matthews who we all hate and no one. So unless they're making another trade, this is the line they're going to have to go with or they lose. They've just painted themselves in a corner. I agree. I agree with you, Jeff. And, and to, to Evan, to this extent, I agree with you too, that I'm willing, like, I'm pretty sure I would be really frustrated with the Seahawks. If I knew what they're not willing to give Clowney like that, I, even though I'm saying like, if it, I'm guessing that yeah, what Clowney's asking for and what the Seahawks are, from a principled perspective, not willing to give him, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So I believe that you're right, but I also believe we don't know. And so that's where I'm like, I think it's just too easy to point the finger. I just, because of what Jeff said, and because of the fact, he, not, he, Everson Griffin is not a comp for Clowney because Everson Griffin does not play interior rusher ever. Yeah. So like Clowney's the only guy that can do that. And I don't know, guys. I mean, it, it to me, it is a no-brainer that you just make that move. They have to make that move. And if they don't, the only thing I can think is maybe there isn't a price. Maybe Clowney's just decided he's not playing this year. Like maybe that's just how he is. And that's and that's very possible. But if if you can somehow meet in the middle, and I we've all discussed this in our group chat, like offline many times over, like the Seahawks when they set a number for somebody internally, they stick to that number Yep. and they rarely go higher. They rarely go higher. That's, that's things all three of us know off the record. So that that's not public information. That's what we know off the record. They set a budget for a player. They stick to it and they are stubborn for better or for worse. Many times it's for the better, but in this situation, I would argue they're desperate, even though they're not acting like it, like, yeah. It's gonna come. It's gonna come back to bite them in the ass. I. And I would. And, go ahead. The thing is, it's gonna linger all year. Like, if Clowney signed on day one of free agency for twenty three million bucks with Cleveland or something, like it would have been like, okay, like we couldn't have done that. But the fact that he's sitting out there and Benson Mayo is starting, and if Benson Mayo gets hurt, I don't know who the starting Leo is. Yeah. Or, it's just, 
it's going to be something that if they have a game, say they play Atlanta and they can't rush Matt Ryan, he torches them. That question is just going to be lingering all year. And it's kind of, they've just handled it so poorly. And they kind of have this arrogance, like, oh, our pass rush is better than you think. And Brady Henderson's always tweeting that the team thinks it's much better. And I just don't get it. it it's just mind-numbingly frustrating because we yeah. we obviously talk about the starters being a problem, but the second you even consider like one injury, <laughs> well, that's the question. Say it's Mike like Mayo gets hurt. Who's yeah. the starting Leo? Is Bruce Urban, <laughs> then you have to move your fan linebacker, and then it's just like well, no, yeah. I think I hear I I don't I don't agree that the defensive end position's a mess. I don't. I I think I think that. I think that they they would be benef- they would definitely benefit from an alpha rusher on the edge that they don't clearly have. At the same time, I think Benson Mayoa is a perfectly passable uh, uh, Leo. I think Bruce Irvin's a perfectly passable you know nickel edge rusher. I think that Alton Robinson may be better than what people realize. I think that Rasheem Green was okay last year. I think that Daryl Taylor hopefully will be back at some point this year. I do think that they have options at edge. I just think that defensive tackle is horrible. Like that that's the part where there's just no answer. There's there's no like most optimistic perspective I can pull from and say, "Oh yeah, they're going to be great in the interior." Like I and, no way. And like what if what if Jer- I don't mean to be a pessimist, but like what if Jaren Reed doesn't repeat that 2018 year? What if it's a 2019 year? Like what does that look like then? It's just – it's so frustrating because they fixed the bottom of their roster in so many areas, the tight end and linebacker and secondary where they're they're prepared for these situations, even O-line. Yeah. But Jeff, I think one of the things we just have not covered that I think is arguably as important and as obvious of a move to make as some of these defensive line in the clowning position – in the clowning situation is Stephen Hauschka is a free agent. And oh. And Jason Myers is our kicker. Shut the podcast down. Like, I, I mentioned that on Twitter. I don't know if I've had any tweet get to a thousand likes faster than than Sign Hauschka and Cut Myers. Did you really tweet that? Oh hell yeah, I did. Within, <laughs> minute, within minutes of him going on the the wire. You know he was like pretty bad last year. He wasn't pretty bad. I'm he pretty sure his numbers Jason were worse than... last year. No, so, like, he had a no. Jason I'm pretty sure his numbers were worse than Jason Myers last year. So I'd have to go look. I'd have to go look, but I'm pretty sure. Hauschka was worse from 50 yards and out than Myers, but from 40 from inside of, of uh, 50 yards, Hauschka, well, especially if you include extra points in that, Jason Myers has missed seven kicks inside of 50 yards, including four extra points, and, and Hauschka missed four. So what was the comparison within 50 without the extra points? I'd have to go back and look, but Do you, was it close? Do you remember or not? It was, it was still in favor of Hauschka. So, so Myers, like part of what makes Myers an infuriating player, he's got a big leg, definitely <laughs> is able to kick longer. He, he's definitely better on kickoffs than Hauschka. Hauschka's always been really like mediocre on kickoffs, but what are the kicks that you generally need to win a game? There's like 40 to 49 yard kicks that you've moved in position and you're ready to like make that play. You cannot tell me that you feel confident with Jason Myers setting up for that kick. There's no way, no matter how drunk you are, 
tell me that you're positive about Jason Myers in that situation. Would you pay money to get out of the Jason Myers contract? I would absolutely pay. Okay, because you would have to pay. The Seahawks would have to pay a million dollars to get out of it this year. A steal. Wait, hold up. Steal. Actually, mm, never mind. I lied. They'd save a million dollars. I'm up too. Because I forgot this was a this is a post June first cut. So the, Use the money for clowning the dead the <laughs> dead money is split into two years. <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah, and hey, Shane Smith, Shane Smith is telling you right now, burn the money, burn the bleeping <laughs> money, Evan. In this case, you don't have to burn the money; you actually make the money. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not completely heartbroken or what, what's the word? I haven't lost all hope on Jason Myers yet. I know you haven't. I, 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 I just think like he came in here, got paid a lot of money. There's probably some psychological mental stuff to the game. He's going to be good this year. He'll be reliable for us. I, I honestly hope you're right. You have to talk it. I you honestly so. have to, to watch last you week. have to talk it into existence with kickers. It is like purely mental. We all know that it's purely mental. I think it's been so long since we saw a Seahawks game. Like we forgot how painful some of those kicks were. Oh. <laughs> it, he was, he was better than I remembered from a numbers perspective when I went back and looked at it. But he was a guy that every single time he stepped up to kick the ball, I was like, oh, God, I cannot. That's that's what I mean. I was terrified. That's Well, that means you're just not drinking enough alcohol, first of all. <laughs> Fair. So, Fair. So, he made the kick against the 49ers, like, which to me is probably my favorite Seahawks victory in the last three, four years. Like, I, had, I was so pumped after that game <laughs> i was so excited that was their first loss last year right oh yeah, yeah. in san francisco so much better than seattle that's so crazy because they were such a better team they were such a better team the 49 yeah, was... yeah yeah it wasn't even oh, close yeah. i mean that's like, with dk fumbling at the one yard line oh, like, oh i forgot about that with, with uh the interception from shaquille griffin in the first series getting called back that's Russell a, threw an interception in overtime, I yeah, think, or the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Russell at, threw the, at the goal line, Russell like got sacked, and a Fetty tried to run <laughs> it back. Like, and then Bobby and KJ like draw picks like right in their hands. Oh, and they still won that game against a like legitimate like team that should have won the Super Bowl. And and thank yeah. thank that was the best team in the NFL last year. Oh man, so. All right, guys, we've been at it for a while. Any any other things you guys want to? I mean, I'm happy to keep talking. Anything else? Well, let's let's just uh, preview the listeners about what's coming up this weekend. So obviously, 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time, roster cuts. It is now the 55 man roster cut down, I believe. Jeff, is that correct? It's 55. I so. so the the new NFL CBA added two additional roster spots. So it's not 53; it's 55 now. Um, that happens at 1 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. The Seahawks are sometimes late to announce those cuts and the official rosters. So we will be doing a show most likely Saturday night, breaking down those roster decisions because we're going to have the 55 guys we're heading into uh, the season with. So count on a show Saturday night um, and at worst case scenario, Sunday, Sunday afternoon. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, First time. Honestly, I, I can remember. I can't even – I cannot remember the last time the first moment I will see the Seahawks team will be week one of the season, like the first regular season game. Like no preseason games, 
no training camp. You haven't got, I mean, if you've watched any of the streams, they're horseshit. They're so bad. And no offense to Aaron Levine and Q13. They're, they're allowed to show what they're allowed to show. And they do an amazing job trying to make it somewhat entertaining. But it's just guys doing stretches and calisthenics. Like, it's really like there's nothing there. So I can't wait. Two weeks from now, we will 13 be. days. We will be talking about the first Seahawks victory in Atlanta and, and how it went and who played well. Evan will be freaking out about something that doesn't matter. It'll be awesome. It will be awesome. And who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll be talking about Jadavian Clowney's three sack performance uh, and how uh, Marcel Darius came in and threw Todd Gurley five yards for a loss. Like, who knows? There's a lot that can change between now and then, and it often does with a John Schneider roster heading into the regular season. So Alvin Kamara might have a touchdown. Who knows? <laughs> you don't want to get us started again. We can go on on that. Um, yeah. So uh, please uh, keep an eye on the, the pod on the channel, youtube.com slash Hawk blogger. Click, click subscribe, click the little bell to get notified Go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up there. Uh, we're going to get that chat going. We're going to have lots of good things to talk about. Um, visit our sponsors if you haven't already. Um, it's a perfect time for a Burger Master burger. And uh, Burger Master is back with us again this season. So please uh, take your family. There's nothing better for, for a COVID outing than uh, eating in your car um, as burgers and shakes are delivered to you. So. All right, folks, boys, it was fun. Thanks for joining on soon. And thanks for everyone who joined and donated in the pod uh, in the chat. I really appreciate it. I had a fun time. So take care and go Hawks.